Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. There was a man who was once lost in the desert. And he had ran out of water in his canteen over two days ago. And he knew if he didn't find shelter and something to drink quickly, that he was going to die of dehydration. And so as he looked ahead in the distance, he saw what he believed to be a small hut. He was so tired, he thought he was hallucinating and maybe it's not even real, but he had nothing to lose. So he decided to keep going forward to see what it was. When he got there, he realized it was a hut. It was unoccupied, and so he walks in, and he's looking around for anything to drink, and he notices um, in the ground that seems to be a water pipe that leads up to a pump. So he starts pumping the water as fast as he can to see if something will come up, and nothing happens. But he's determined, so he keeps on going, and eventually he just gives up. Uh, He's exhausted, he's frustrated, and so he just falls to the ground. But as he's falling to the ground, he notices something shimmering in the corner, a small object, and he looks up and he, tell, he could tell that it's a small bottle with a liquid and with a cork in it. And so he drags himself over to the bottle and he takes it, he's about to chug it down, opens the cork and he's about to just drink it. And then he notices there's a note on the bottle and it says, pour this water on the pump to get it to work. Before you leave, remember to fill the bottle back up and put the cork on top. Now he has a dilemma. Is this even real? Is this a mean joke? Was this written a long time ago and now the well is all dried up? So do you take the water, do you drink it? Even though it's small, it at least will give you some hydration and then you miss out on the opportunity to may, um, maybe get all the water that you need to continue on your journey? Or do you take some faith, pour the water on the pump and, and pump and then water will come out and you're gonna have everything that you need to continue on? So he closes his eyes and he begins to pray. And as he opens his eyes with his hand trembling from dehydration, he decides to pour the water on the pump. So he tries again, tries again to get some water to come up and he's going, he's going and there's nothing. And he continues on and then all of a sudden there's a little gurgling from the ground. And as he continues to pump, a ton of water starts to come up. All the water he's ever gonna need. So he drinks and he drinks and he rests and he drinks until he becomes hydrated again. He fills his canteen full up because he knows he has to continue on. And before he leaves, he remembers, I need to fill the bottle up and leave it. So he fills the bottle up, he puts the cork on it. And as he's walking back, he stops before he places it down and he begins to write a little note underneath the note that's already there. And he says this, believe me, it works. Sometimes in our faith journey, we need to be reminded that it works. 
When I read Hebrews 11, I see this great cloud of witnesses of these people, just like me and you, that God used to do amazing things on this earth. And what's really cool is he uses different ages. He uses male, he uses female. And so you ask the question, what is the precursor for God to use people like us to get to experience amazing things here on earth? And in the chapter, it tells us it was based on their faith. See, we know God is always gonna be God. He's always gonna do God things. And he is gonna allow us to be a part of these amazing things that happen here on earth. But how? By faith. And, and I love, I love that we get to read all of these incredible things that happen to people just like us. By faith. Because when I read these stories, to me, what was written on that bottle is what is written after every story in Hebrews 11. You might as well write it on there because this is what it says to me. Believe me, it works. Frank Turek, uh, he says that there's two kinds of faith. There's belief that and there's belief in. Belief that is giving, giving evidence. It's getting evidence that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, that the New Testament documents are telling us the truth. It's getting evidence for the claims that we have as believers. But the thing is, belief that is not what saves us from our sins. It's not what gets us into eternity with God forever. That is the second kind of faith, and that is belief in. See, belief that is all head. It's knowledge. It's knowing things. The belief in is also head, but it's also heart. Most of the time in the Bible, when they talk about faith, they're talking about the second kind that I said, belief in. Belief in is this. After you know that Jesus is the Savior, you trust in him. I love Pastor Bill's example of when salvation happens. It's the hand of God. It's the grace, it's the hand of God's grace reaching down to us. And it's when we reach our hand of faith up to that hand and we grab hold. As I read through Hebrews 11 and I read all these amazing stories of faith, there was one that stood out to me. One that stood out about a man's faith that because of his faithfulness, he got to experience something that only one other person in the Bible experienced. All because he was faithful to be in a journey with God. And the thing about this, this, this man that we're gonna talk about this morning is there's only a handful of verses written about him. See, when you're a preacher, you love to have all, like, I mean, you want 30 verses. You wanna be able to have plenty of material but even though there's so few words written about this man we're gonna talk about, the words that are written are so powerful. His name is Enoch. How many of you have heard of Enoch? Awesome, not in this alone this morning, that's great. We read about Enoch in Genesis chapter five. And in Genesis, this is not the only Enoch we see. There's actually a total of four men named Enoch, popular name, uh, in Genesis. One of them is actually Cain's son, who when he was born had a city named after him. He was known by 
man. But the Enoch we're gonna talk about this morning, even more importantly than being known by man, was known by God. Enoch was the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. Four, four grandsons of Adam. And when we read in Genesis, we read that it's going through the, the lineage, the family line of Adam. And it starts with Adam. And so I wanna give you an example of, of what it says, because it kind of has a routine, a pattern when it goes through each person in the line. It says the same kind of things. So I wanna read you the first one. It's not gonna be on the screen, but it starts with Adam. It says, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son. First of all, can we just stop and say, why? <laughs> uh, can, you imagine a can you imagine making it to 130, much less having a child at that age? Never mind. Okay, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Adam lived 800 years after he fathered Seth, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So Adam's life lasted 930 years, then he died. And as it goes through every person in the line, it says these same things. It starts with how long they lived, their children that they had, the name of the child, how long they lived after the child, the fact that they had other children and how long they lived in total. And then it ends each one of these stories with three words, then he died. We see this pattern all the way through until we get to Genesis 5, starting in verse 21. And it says this, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Just a little fact for you, Methuselah, the oldest person to ever live in the Bible, 965 years. You're ready for Trivial Pursuit. Now, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. A couple things that I noticed that were different than the other stories that we saw as far as it goes in the line of Adam. The first thing is this, something seemed to change in Enoch's life after he had Methuselah. Now, I know there's a lot of parents in here. I myself, I'm a parent. And I, if you think about it, it's very true. When you have kids, you start to think about things differently. Something in your life changes, especially if you're a follower, follower of Jesus. I felt um, even a bigger responsibility once I had kids to um, be an example. Now, here's the thing. You know, I was an example before, but I really felt responsible for being an example now. Parents, we're all examples. We're either a good one or we're a bad one. But either way, we're an example. And so I felt this pressure that I had these little lives um, that, to be honest, I could really mess up. Now, I don't know about you, but some of you parents have probably had the same prayer that I've had certain times. And it goes like this, dear God, please don't let me jack them up. Amen. <laughs> it happens. We have so much responsibility to raise our kids, um, especially to know Jesus. Let's be real. We have a responsibility to raise our kids to know who Jesus is. The greatest honor, the greatest um, relief, 
The greatest thing that has happened in my life is when my kids accepted Christ. There's a reason that when you leave Met Kids, it says what happens at home is more important than what happens here. The church has your child and has your youth and has you for an hour, maybe two hours a week. The rest of the time, the kids are with you. We have a responsibility to be an example of what Jesus wants us to be as parents. Another thing um, that I noticed is it says when Enoch, um, after he had Methuselah, his life changed. I'm not sure what happened before, but we know something happened after. Then he goes on to say, he walked faithfully with God for 300 years. Does that seem tough to you? Because that seems tough to me. I'm 44. I know I look 22. You don't have to tell me. I'm 44 years old. And when I think back on my life, I'm like, could I say I've walked faithfully with God for 44? I, don't, I couldn't do that. How many of us feel that we can't go sometimes 24 hours walking faithfully with God? I mean, it's true. So to think about what Enoch did when he walked faithfully with God for 300 years, that's incredible. That is special. Then it says altogether, he lived a total of 365 years and then he died. Wait, wait, wait. It doesn't say that this time. What actually it says, it, it goes on to say something that's already said before. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Not just once does it say this. Think about this for just a second. There's only a few verses that talks about Enoch. And in these few verses, something that it says twice, it emphasizes. And when the Bible says something twice, it's saying to us, listen, this is important. This is special. This is something you need to hear. And what it says twice about Enoch is that he walked faithfully with God. So you get to hear about his faithfulness and then it goes on to, to tell us what was his reward? What did he get because of this? Then he was no more because God took him away. So what does that mean? What does it mean he took him away to get kidnapped? I'm not like, what happened? And we see it because we go to Hebrews 11, where we've been in our series. It starts off with two words that I love, by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away but before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. He pleased God because of his faithfulness. And because of his faithfulness, he did not experience the death that you and I are going to experience one day. There's only one other person in the Bible that this happened to. His name is Elijah. They had the same ending. And why did God take these two men? Why did he take them that way? That was different than the rest of us. The rest of on earth, the time on earth, everybody has died except for these two people. Why? So I studied and I researched and I looked up and as a pastor of the Met, I'm here to tell you, I'm not really sure. 
There are speculation about why these two were taken this specific way, but it's, it doesn't really say too much about this. And some people believe that um, it was to prepare them for a role in the end times. In, you know, it talks about in Revelation 11 that there will be two witnesses and that possibly could be true, but I'm not really sure. The thing is, we don't always understand God's ways. But here's what we should understand, that his way is always perfect. So if you and I were to describe Enoch in his life, this is what I would say who he is. He is a man who walked with God. Now, there are times in our faith when we need to run. If we are distant from God, we need to turn and run to the Father. But I'm glad the rest of the time, there's a lot of walking because I have to be honest with you. My body's not built for running. <laughs> I recently got a bike for Father's Day and my daughter and I, we've been going on little bike rides. I'm not sure my body's built for biking either, but I'm gonna work my way into that one. Some of you run. And if you run, God bless you. I see you on the road when I'm driving and I say, get home, what are you doing? But walking is something that I can do. Walking is something that we can all do. See, when I run, if I'm running constantly, I get exhausted. But when I walk, I can be refreshed. And that's so important. So how can we live a life like Enoch that walks in faithfulness? I have four things for you this morning. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Walk for God's purpose. Walk for God's purpose. It goes on in Hebrews eleven six, and it says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Impossible to please God without having faith. And what is faith? It tells us faith is this. It's believing two things, that he exists, that Jesus is real, that Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins that you and I deserve to die for, that he was resurrected in three days. And that same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead because of your faith now lives in you. And the second thing in that verse that tells us is that you need to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Meaning if you faithfully walk for God, you can look forward to the promises that he has made for followers of Jesus in the Bible. So what are some of those? We always need to be reminded of these. First of all, promise, he promises to strengthen you. He promises to give you rest, to take care of all your needs, to answer your prayers, to work everything out for your good, to be with you, to protect you. How about this one? God promises freedom from sin. God promises that nothing can separate you from him. Can I get an amen? amen. And he promises for those who follow Christ ever lasting life. And when we know God and when we begin to follow God, we begin to have faith 
and who he is. And we believe that the spirit of God is, is, is with us, is in us. Your life cannot look the same. That when you accept Jesus as your savior, you are a new creation, which means you are different, which means things in your life start to change to look more like Jesus. But we have to be real with this. This is a process. This doesn't happen overnight. I mean, how many of you this morning, you were driving here, somebody cut you off and you thought about cuss words. Let's be honest. It's a process. It's an everyday process and your faith is a, salvation is a progress. Salvation happens and it also continues. Once you accept Christ, you have freedom from sin. You have eternal life in, in heaven one day. But until that day, it is a progress to continue every day to be more and more like Jesus. It is a process. Faith will allow others to see Jesus in you by life, by your life, everything that you do. James says this, faith without works is dead. Um, one of my favorite Christian artists of all time, Rich Mullins had a song and it said this, faith without works is like a submarine with a screen door. Yeah, this doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Your purpose in life is this, to know him and to make him known. Second thing is this, walk at God's pace. Walk at God's pace. Enoch walked with God. Walking with God suggests a life consistent um, with God's will and an experience of fellowship with him. You're probably like me. Um, you have a lot of people that you would call acquaintances, right? Um, you have some people that you're close with, but then there's probably a lot of people that when you see them, you're like, hey, how are you? And you, you have small talk. But if you're really, to be honest, you didn't know much about them and they, didn't, they don't know much about you. Now you enjoy your time with them. You like them. Maybe you would wish you could spend more time with them, but just because of life, you just don't have that. So they're acquaintances. Your relationship with Jesus, your faith does not need to be an acquaintance. It's not meant to be um, something that happens from time to time. It's meant to be steady. It's meant to be progressive and it's meant to be an ongoing relationship. Galatians 6, 7 says this, a man reaps what he sows. This is a harvesting term, meaning you get, you get out what you put in. If you spent time planting, watering, and caring for the harvest, eventually you will reap whatever you spent time sowing, whatever's growing in the harvest. But here's the thing. You reap in one season and you sow in another. You can't reap all the time. So if you're a follower of Christ, you can't reap all the things that God has promised because it's not about when we want it. It's about when God wants to give it to us. And his timing is always perfect. Sometimes your prayers don't get answered. Guess what? That could be an answer from God saying, does it need to be what you think it needs to be right now? It's in his timing. And that's what we have to have faith in. When you have faith in that, you get to reap all that God wants in his timing. You will reap God's blessing in your life when you continually sow 
even when you don't feel like you're reaping. And it's in seasons. And life is like that too. Life is different seasons. And so I've experienced different seasons in my life. Um, I had a life of singleness. I had a life of being married, still in that, in that life. Love you, honey. And um, I have a life of having babies. I mean, I didn't have them. I was there supporting, thinking she's mad because she thinks I did this to her. But, um, and then I have my current life. Current season is we have young kids. So I can tell you what my um, life was this weekend, starting on Thursday. It was a basketball tournament. My son plays basketball and it, he had two games on Thursday. He had a game on Friday. That was just pool play to get into the bracket. And then once you got into the bracket, it started Saturday at 8 a.m. So I know, I, you know I'm preaching. So what I do when stuff, we're having to go do things is I get my message all done. I'll take pictures of it on my phone. So when I'm at places or I'm sitting around, if you've ever been to a basketball tournament, you sit a lot in between games, waiting for the next game, all those kind of things. And so I'll just have my phone and I'll just, you know, take time to go through, read over it, kind of soak it in um, even more. So he had a game at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning at the airport. There's a place at the airport that they played. And uh, this tournament is a one and done. So you lose, you're done. So I love my son, I love his team, and I I was cheering for them to win, but if they lost, I would be okay. Because I knew I would be able to go home, take time, relax, look over my messes. Well, they won. Next game was at 1140, about 20 miles away at a different gym. So we drive over there and we're sitting, and, and I've learned some things, especially this weekend, is that my backside was not built to sit on metal stands all day. It is rough. I'm just 44. I'm, I'm worried about what 60 looks like for me, guys, just to be honest. And so we're sitting there and they start to play and I'm cheering them on. I want them to win, but I'm okay if they lose because that means I get to go, come home. They win. <laughs> so they won again. And now the next game doesn't, they don't play till 5.40 p.m. There's about five hours until that, that happens. So we go to lunch with the team we're sitting there, we're thinking, all right, this is a bunch of teenage boys, 13-year-olds. Um, what are we gonna do with them? Like they can't just, we can't sit in canes all day. We have to go do something. We go to Grapevine Mills, which I found out, apparently it's a tax-free weekend at Grapevine Mills, which is a nightmare. There were thousands and thousands of people. So I get there and I, I tell the coach, hey, can Ezra hang out with you guys? I'm gonna go just look over my message, kind of spend time. And he was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I'm like, where can I go? I'm like, I'm gonna go to the food court. <sighs> Bad idea. Go all the way down to the food court. I can't find a seat. I finally find a seat. I just start going over and there's people everywhere. And I'm like, okay, this was a horrible idea. So I go back. Eventually we go to the game. And this was the last game uh, of the day. If they win, they would have played today. And so of course, that's the game they decided to lose. <laughs> but the point is, it comes in seasons. And we need to enjoy every season that you're in. I enjoyed my time there. You know, uh, if, you're, if you're single and you're in here today, enjoy that time. I mean, don't get crazy, but enjoy that time. If you're married, enjoy that time. If you have kids, enjoy that time. If you're a grandparent, enjoy that time. Spoil those kids rotten, give them tons of sugar, and then send them home. 
Enjoy every season you're in. And here's a tough one. Enjoy the seasons that are hard. Enjoy when you're hurting. Enjoy when you're going through loss or you're dealing with something hard and you're like, how can I enjoy that? Enjoy that it's a season and just like every season, it's gonna eventually change. You're gonna get out of that season. You need to ask yourself, what is God doing in my life in this season to help me grow in my faith? How am I gonna be better after this? And you may not know till later, but you need to ask God to show you, to reveal what can I learn from this Lord? How can I help people that are gonna go through this same thing? What can you do through me, just like you did through everybody in Hebrews 11 to allow me to be a light in this dark world? Enjoy every season because they're short and they're just that seasons that will eventually change. One way that I was able to deal with different seasons in my life, which is so important is our next point. Walk with God's people. Walk with God's people. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, get this, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Guys, we were meant to be together. We were meant to do life together. And there's a study out there that talks about how much our brains can handle as far as um, the friendships that we have. And it's interesting because the study matches up perfectly with, with the Bible. It says that you should have a very, very small, tight group um, of friends that are your besties. Like these are the ones that know everything about you. You can be honest with them and know no matter what you're doing, going through whatever it may be, they're gonna love you because they know you and care for you so much. And it said, the study says, this is about two to three people that need to be in this group. And it's interesting because you look at the Bible and Jesus, he had three. And then it goes on to say that next circle of friends that you need and that your brain can really, is uh, 10 to 12. And these are friends that are good friends. They're, they're, you can reach out to them at any time. You can call them. They're there. You know a lot about them. They know a lot about you and, and you're trusted. And these are, these are your people. It's 10 to 12. And if you look at Jesus, what, how many disciples did he have? 12. And then it goes on. The, the next round, the next circle is probably the max of what you truly can handle as far as and more of your acquaintances and people that you know, that you know a little bit about. You're like, hey, how's your uncle when you see him? Because you saw it on Facebook or something like that. And it goes to the max about 100. But what's interesting is no matter what these size of circles are, it goes to show us how we were created. We were created to be with people. We were created to do life together. And one of the ways that you can um, do life together um, if you go to church here, it's an instant 10 to 12 at least that will be in that circle is to join a small group. The small groups are awesome. Uh, they're, they're groups of people that are uh, the same stages of life that you are that can encourage you, 
that can be there for you, um, that can lift you up when you fall. You can do that for them. It's, it's people you can love and who are gonna love you. And it's so important to have those people around you. Something that churches did during COVID, because we had to, whether you had it already or whether you were improving it or starting it for the first time, was online ministry, um, where people could actually watch church you know, on your computer or your TV or whatever it may be. We improved ours here and it was great because you couldn't be here in person, but we still wanted to connect with you and, and you know, allow you to hear God's word and be able to worship with us as a church. And so it was awesome to do that. Another good thing that came out of that was nowadays, no matter where you are in the world, if you have to travel for vacation or for business, or even if, if you're online now and you don't even live close to us, you're able to still connect and be a part. But here's the bad thing. Some people have never come back to church um, after COVID because it's so easy just to watch online. And this is not me trying to make anybody feel guilty. This is me trying to tell people that you need to be here. Not only do you need to be here for you, the church needs you to be here. We are a whole body when we have different personalities, different talents, different people. Some people are pinkies. Some people are thumbs. Not just because you look like a thumb, because you are a thumb. We're different parts of the body. And when we come together, we make up the whole body of Christ. Hebrews uh, 10, 24 says this, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is in the manner of some, but let us be there. Why? To exhort one another, to lift one another up, especially as you see the day approaching. The word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church, it actually means assembly of the people. We need each other because that's what God intended. That's how God created us to be. And then the last one is this, walk in God's peace. Walk in God's peace. There was a Barna study that asked US teens and adults uh, what they were looking for in their spiritual beliefs. And the top answer was this, inner peace. People want peace. So how do we have God's peace? How do we have the peace of God? Second Peter 1 says this, may the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter is saying that the blessings of grace and peace can be multiplied, can be given in abundance to you, not just in small segments, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, the better we know God, the more we experience his grace and peace. The more time we spend with God, the more time we are focused on God, who he is and what he wants for our lives, the more we experience this peace, which the Bible says passes all understanding. Walking with God is not like an evening stroll. Walking with God is not something you do one night for an hour. Walking with God is something you do your whole life forever until you are gone to be with the Lord. Here's the point. You find peace of God by walking with God. Isn't that what you want? 
Don't you want peace in your life? Don't you want understanding and, 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 and the ability to when hard times or when things come into your life, you have peace because you know God is in control. No matter what happens, you know that he's gonna take care of you. You know he's gonna get you through this. You know this season is going to pass. No matter what the world looks at, what's going on in your life and says, man, I don't know how they're doing that. You're an example of how you're doing it because the way you live shows who Jesus is in your life because it has to do with your faith. So how is your faith this morning? Maybe you're here and you've not started that walk yet. You've not started that journey with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, there is something that is hindering your walk. And as I did this message, I started to think about, maybe you think about this too, what's gonna be said about you when you die? What would you want to be said about you when you die? And so I thought I would just write my own words. And by the way, I'm thinking I'm gonna live to 90. Sounds like a good, good time to go. If you're 90 in here, I apologize. You're, you're gonna live way longer. <laughs> but for me, 90 seems like a good number. And that's what I wrote. When Corey had lived 30 years, he became the father of Ezra. After he became the father of Ezra, Corey walked faithfully with God 60 years and had another daughter named Isley. Altogether, Corey lived a total of 90 years. Corey walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. I don't know about you, but I would love for that to be what people say about me. And when us as followers of Christ, we need to know that one day we're gonna be taken up. God's gonna take us away. Now, it would be real cool if you could experience what Enoch and Elijah experienced, but I doubt it. But even after you die, as followers, as believers, as people with faith in who God is and what he's done for us, when you die, you will be taken away by God and you will spend eternity with him. And that is the most important thing that you can ever be assured of as you live here on the earth. And how does it happen? It's two words that we saw so much in Hebrews 11, by faith. Let's pray. God, for those who are here today who wanna start their faith journey, who wanna put their faith in you, I pray that they say, everything I know about me, today I trust everything I know about you. Come into my life and save me from my sins. For those of us already on the faith journey, I pray that today we are encouraged to walk with you, not from time to time, but in every moment, every day, for the rest of our lives, until one day you take us away. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.